1244 to 50. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke to him, the word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we pray that you'll give us faith to believe everything that Christ teaches. And may we understand our salvation through him to you, from the Son to the Father. Grant, Lord, that the face of Christ is what we pursue, the words of Christ is what we pursue, and nothing else. May we glorify the Son that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We ask in his name. Amen. In now uh, this last section of John chapter 12, we have come to the last public words of Christ. Not the last words in the book of John, but the last public words of Christ. Christ has been foretelling, predicting his upcoming death. He's been teaching that in this chapter. And then when he sees the crowds and the multitudes confused, he clarifies who he really is. We've seen that also. We have also seen in the last paragraph, 37 to 43, that this all was ordained that the crowds, the vast majority of people would not believe, a few would believe, this was ordained by God to be this way. The people who do not believe, they typically do not believe, as it says in verses 42 to 43, because they love the glory of men. They love the approval of men. They fear man and they want to please man. They want the honor of men rather than the honor of God. They would rather please one another than please God himself. Well, when they do so, in opposition to Christ, Christ who was ministering among them, Christ who performed miracles among them, Christ who practiced righteousness among them, Christ who accurately preached the truth of the scriptures and announced more scriptures in his preaching, this Christ, if they oppose this Christ, the righteous, God-fearing Christ, if they oppose him, they actually oppose God. This is what he is emphasizing here in verses 44 to 50. If they oppose Christ, they oppose God the Father. No one can claim that he has the favor of God. No one can claim he has the favor of the Father. No one can say he is worshiping the true God. 
that his life is secure in the hands of God or the gods, whether one God or many gods, he cannot ever claim that if what he believes is contrary to Christ. If what he believes is contrary to the person and work of Christ. If what he believes is contrary to the identity of Christ and ministry of Christ, he does not have the favor of God himself, God the Father. If he contradicts Christ, he does not have God. And therefore, also, those who minister the words of Christ, those who preach and teach, evangelize based on the words of Christ, are in that same position of representing Christ to the world. This same principle applies, we will see here in this passage, that they oppose Christ to his face. But now that Christ has ascended into heaven and is no longer on the earth, and we don't know him in the flesh on the earth any longer, then we, the body of Christ, represent him. We are his evangelists. We are his missionaries. We are his ambassadors. We are his emissaries. We represent Christ on the earth. When we preach, we must preach just as Christ preached. We preach to the crowds or we preach to individuals just as Christ preached. We ought to do so. That's our obligation. That's our duty. That's our responsibility to do so. And in the same way, when we do so, to the extent we do so, and the people who hear us, when they hear us and they reject us, they reject Christ. And if they reject us and they reject Christ, they also reject God the Father. No matter what they say, no matter what they confess, no matter what they claim, no matter what they profess, they reject God the Father. When they reject us, they reject Christ. And if they reject Christ, they reject God the Father. This is how it is. It's here in this paragraph, final paragraph, where Jesus lays it out and says it explicitly in many different ways that their ultimate enemy the ultimate person they have rejected is God the Father. God the Father does not favor them if they reject Christ. But if they believe in Christ, they have the favor of God the Father. If they believe in Christ through our preaching, then they have the favor of God the Father. If they have God's favor, they are reconciled to Him. They have salvation, redemption, forgiveness of sins, they have atonement. They have eternal life. They have peace with God. And they have pleasures at the right hand of God forevermore. That's what is possible for those who do believe in the true Christ. When we preach the word of Christ. Verse 44. To make this final statement, this final discourse here in 44 to 50... Jesus, he cries out to do so. He cries out, which means he raised his voice. He made sure that distinctly, audibly, the whole crowd could hear him. The whole crowd could know exactly what he was saying. He has done so on a couple of other occasions here in the book of John to raise his voice in this way to make sure that the people heard what he said preached. 
This is why he raises his voice. He doesn't raise his voice because he's desperate. He's not raising his voice because he's crying. Cry out does not mean he's crying. It means that he is raising his voice loud enough to be distinct enough for people to know exactly what he's saying because these words are very important words. These words should not be misunderstood. These words should not be missed. These words should be accurately received, accurately understood. That's why he raises his voice here. And what does he say? He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. When one believes in Christ, he is believing in Christ. There's no doubt about that. He doesn't mean, if you believe in me, you don't believe in me. He's not contradicting himself. What he means is, he who believes in me does not merely believe in me, does not only believe in me, does not exclusively believe in me. Whoever believes in me believes in him who sent me. Because if you believe what I have preached, if you know who I truly am, then you know who actually sent me. Because the Son of God speaks of the Father, right? He always spoke of the Father, the Father's commission. How many times do we see in the book of John? At least 30 times in the book of John does Christ say the Father sent him. The Father sent him. He was commissioned by the Father. There is no way for anyone to misunderstand. No way for anyone to say that he never claimed it. He did claim it. He claimed it many, many times. That we must believe that the Father sent him. Not only in the book of John, but throughout the whole Bible. Throughout the whole Bible, he is known as the coming one. As the prophet said and John the Baptist preached. The coming one. He was known as that. So come from where? And who sent him? Well, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is what he means. If we believe in Christ, ultimately we are believing in the Father because Christ correctly preached is in relation to the Father in heaven. Then, verse 45. And... He who beholds me, he who looks upon me, beholds the one who sent me. If you understand correctly who Christ is, if you see him, in their case, they saw him with their physical eyes. But more importantly, it was necessary for them to see him with their spiritual eyes. So if they saw Jesus spiritually, his true nature, his true character, his true purpose, why did he come into the world? If they beheld him correctly, then they would correctly behold the Father. If they saw him correctly, they would see the Father correctly. If they don't see Christ correctly, they will not see the Father correctly. Here, he will say this again in John 14, 9. John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you? 
And yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? When we see Christ, the Son of the Father, we see the Father. Not that the person of the Father is right there, but we see the attributes of the Father, the characteristics of the Father in the Son. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews 1, 3. And He, Christ, is the radiance of His glory. The His is the Father, God's glory. He, Christ, the Son, is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ here is said to be the radiance of the Father's glory. When we see... If we were to look at the sun directly, the sun in the sky, the sun above, if we were to look at the sun directly, we would see a very brilliant, bright, radiant, glorious light. Correct? But if we don't look directly and we look to the side, we can still see the brilliance or radiance of the sun to some degree. Right? Well, here, this is saying that Jesus, the Son, He radiates the Father. He is the one who radiates the Father. He's the one that displays the glory of the Father. He is the exact representation of His nature. The exact representation of His nature. In the case of Christ, the Son, He is exactly of the same nature as the Father. Displayed before our eyes. That's who Jesus is. That's what he's claiming and asserting. Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Colossians 1.15. Colossians 1.15. And he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the image of of the invisible God, same as Hebrews 1, same as John 14, 9, same as John 12, 45. He is the image of the invisible God. He reflects the true nature, the true uh, attributes, the true characteristics of the Father. That's who Christ is. When we see Him correctly, we see the Father correctly. If we see Christ incorrectly, inaccurately, then we don't correctly understand and believe in the Father. That's the point he makes in John. Further, John 12, 46. 12, 46. I have come as light into the world, that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. He came as the light of the world and the light into the world. This is very clearly already been preached in the book of John, starting in John chapter 1, that Jesus is the light of the world. 
John chapter 1, verse 4, 3, 19, 8, 12, 9, 5, and even in 12, 35 to 36. 12, 35 to 36. In all these places, Christ has clearly announced that He is the light. He is the light that reflects the light of the Father. He is the light of the world. Why did He come as light into the world? According to verse 46, He came for a reason. He came for a purpose in verse 46, that everyone who believes in Me may not remain in darkness. This means that we are in darkness in our sins. We are corrupt and worthy of death in our sins until we believe in Christ. And once we believe in Christ, we are then we are delivered from darkness and we are in the light. We are in a state of darkness until we are in the light of Christ. As we mentioned these other verses in John, but let's now also go to 1 John. 1 John will explain this darkness and light comparison. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. 1 John 1 5 to 7. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness where? In God. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. There's no darkness in God, and no no darkness even in Christ, the light of the world. And if we say, verse 6, that we do have fellowship with God, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Liars say they have fellowship with God, but they practice sin. However, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light of God, we have fellowship with God because God's in light. He is in the light, and then we join that light. We experience that light with him. We have fellowship. We have a relationship with God. And how is that? Through His Son. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. It's through His Son that we have fellowship with the Father. We have fellowship with the light that has come into the world, the Son of God, to have fellowship with the Father. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, 7 to 11. 1 John 2, 7 to 11. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing 
a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. This is already happening. It begins to happen in us and it continues to happen in us to live according to the light. Yet, we have people who contradict what they say. Verse 9. They say they are in the light, but they hate their brother. They say they're in the light, but they hate their brother. If they hate their brother, they're still in darkness. That is a very easy equation. It's as though John was teaching us one plus one is two. It's very simply said, isn't it? Is it not? Simply that if you say you are in the light, yet you hate your brother, you're in the darkness until now. It's easy to figure out, he's telling us. But if we love our brother, verse 10, if we love our brother, we are in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. If we love our brother, then truly we are in the light and we are not a cause of stumbling. We're not causing people to sin. We are helping them, encouraging them to walk in the light. But again, verse 11, if we hate our brother, we are in the darkness, we walk in the darkness, and we don't know where we're going because we are so blinded by the darkness. That's how desperate our situation is. If we hate our brother, we actually are in darkness. That's how it is. John 12. John 12, 47. John 12, 47. And if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. In 47, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, one might hear the words of Christ, but not obey them, want nothing to do with them. If that is true, he says, I do not judge him. He means by this, I do not judge him now. Not that he will never judge him, but he's saying, I won't judge him now, because who is the judge of all the earth? Who is the judge of all the earth? According to Acts chapter 17, 30, 31, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, having appointed a man and having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Acts chapter 17, 30 to 31, that one that was raised from the dead who is the appointed judge of all the earth is Christ himself. 
in John 5. In John chapter 5. 5. 27. He gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Who will be the one to execute judgment? The son of man. The father granted that to the son to be the judge of all the earth. That's why in John 12:47 we know Christ does not mean he has nothing to do with judging people. He doesn't mean it that way. He means at the moment when you hear my sayings and you don't keep them, I'm not judging you in that sense, in the full final sense. I'm not judging you now. Because he says, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And then later in 48, he says, the word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. So now, why did he come into the world, according to verse 47? For what purpose? He did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. His coming in his first coming was for the purpose of saving the world, not condemning the world, not judging the world. In his second coming, Revelation 19, he comes to judge the world, to condemn the world. But in this case... He did not come to condemn or judge the world, but to save the world. Now, if he came to save the world, what is the world? Who comprises the world that he saves? John 3. John 3, 16 to 21, answers this question. Who is the world, or what are the people, what comprises this world that Jesus came to save. John 3, 16 to 21. This famous verse of the Bible, John 3, 16, is often distorted because it's not interpreted according to its context. Let's read it and seek to interpret properly. 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge or condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged or condemned. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment or condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. 3.16. God's love is manifested in sending his only begotten Son. The Father sends the Son into the world. For what purpose? That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. He sent the Son into the world in the first coming to have whoever believe in Him not perish but have eternal life. That's the reason He sent Him into the world. The misunderstanding in verse 16 is often with whoever. 
Whoever believes in him should not perish. Whoever doesn't mean everyone does believe or everyone can believe. Whoever means whoever believes. Whoever does believe does receive eternal life, has eternal life. But whoever believes does not mean everyone has the ability to believe or everyone does believe. It doesn't mean everyone can believe and everyone does believe. It doesn't mean that. Any honest, impartial reading of this verse would show that's all he's saying. Whoever believes does not perish, but has eternal life. So the question then is, how do we we become, how is it possible to be a believer? How is it possible to be a believer? How do we get into that condition, in that state? Well, John 3, 1 to 15 explained that we must be born again, born of the Spirit. But also, verses 17 to 21 explain that. How is it that we become believers? 17 to 21. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. So who is the world that is saved? According to 317 and 316, the world that is saved has to be the world that believes. Correct? Because there is a world that is condemned, as we read in 18 to 21. Which world is saved through Christ? Through believing in Christ. That's the world that is saved. The world that believes in Christ is the world that is saved. Everyone doesn't go to heaven. Some go to heaven, but the vast majority go to hell. Well, 18 then we have. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 18 is very similar to what Jesus said in 12, 47 and 48. In terms of those who do not believe, those who do not keep his word, his sayings. If they don't, they are judged in a sense, but not in the final sense. And in 48, he who rejects me does not receive my sayings, has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. So if we believe now, we are not condemned, but are saved. And we are part of the world saved, the world saved in 16 and 17. If we don't believe, we are condemned. And in whom should our faith be? Jesus Christ. Then 19 to 21. Here's where we come back to how we become believers or not believers. 19 to 21. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. When, when men see the light of Christ, they turn away. They despise it. Whatever Christ has to offer to them, they want nothing to do with it. They don't like it. In fact, he says here, 
Men love the darkness. And in verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light. They love darkness. They hate light. That's why they don't embrace Christ in faith. That's who they are. Now, one might say, somebody might say, don't call me dark. Don't call me a hater. I don't do evil. You're you're saying evil as though I'm Hitler. You're saying evil as though I love to mass murder. You're saying evil as though I commit serial crimes. That I deserve the death penalty. I'm not evil. Well, the Bible's not using the word evil like that. The Bible is using the word evil. People who love darkness and their deeds are evil, they do evil and hate the light. It's talking about sin and any sin. It's talking about us as evildoers, lovers of darkness, when we are in a state of sin and not in a state of of redemption or salvation in Christ. That's who the evildoers are. That's who the haters are. That's who the lovers of darkness are. And so the test of evildoers, the haters of light, is whether they come to the light or not. If they don't come to the true Christ, remember, we're talking about the correct Christ, as the Bible explains him. We're not talking about another Jesus, 2 Corinthians 11, 3-4. We're not talking about false Christs, Matthew 24, 24. We're talking about the true Christ. We're talking about the true Jesus Christ. If they refuse to come to the true one, they are evildoers and haters of light. Because they don't want their own sins exposed by the radiance of Christ. They don't want their sins exposed. 21. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. If we practice truth, we will come to the light. And then when we do come to the light, it will be manifested that our deeds have been wrought in God. Now we've come full circle. How is it that we want to come to the light? How is it that we draw near to the light? How is it that we believe in the light? How is it that that happens? Because our deeds are manifested or wrought in God. We manifest that our deeds have been wrought in God. God is the one who works in us to regenerate us to change us, to give us new desires, to give us new passions, to give us new values, to give us a new worldview. God does that by changing the heart, circumcising the heart, taking that stony dead heart and making it tender and alive, beating with full health inside of us. Our spiritual heart beats that way and then we believe. We say we want that, we need that. We want Christ. We want His light. I know who I am. I know my sins. And I want Christ to forgive me of my sins. That is the one who has had God work in him to come to the light. And coming to that light, 
makes us believe in that light so that we not perish and have eternal life. That's what he's preaching here. So evidence of judgment and salvation. Jesus came to have him preached so that the world might be saved. And the world does not mean every individual in the world, but the saved world, and they are saved because God works in them to believe in His Son. The Father works in them to believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now John 12, 48. 12, 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day or on the last day. The last day is the day of judgment. Like we said earlier, John 5, in John 5, 25 to 29, he speaks of a day that will come when he will raise the dead and there will be a day of judgment. John 5, 25 to 29. Also, Acts 17, 30 to 31. A day of judgment is coming. So that is the last day. If we reject Christ now, Christ says that there is one who is going to judge him. And who is the one? It's the Word. The Word of God will expose those haters of God. The Word of God will expose them because the Word of God will be brought to their attention as to what they knew. They knew what Jesus claimed. They knew what the messengers of Christ, the Christian church, what we preach of Christ, and they will be reminded of what was preached and what they rejected. They will be reminded of what was preached and when the preacher was preaching, what was going on in the mind of the hearer. How he was very hateful and despiteful against the true words of Christ. And how he said, there's no way I'm ever going to believe that. There's no way I will ever believe in Christ in that way. I don't believe Jesus is that way. I don't believe that at all. Those kinds of thoughts that perhaps no one else knows will be revealed on the Day of Judgment. Those thoughts will be revealed and the Word of God, the pure Word of God, the righteous Word of God will judge them on the last day. It will expose their evil human heart. That's why when we hear the Word, we have to be ready with great diligence to believe it and obey it. We cannot be those who hear the word and walk away from it. We can't be that way at all. We must receive it and bear fruit. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. On hearing it and receiving it. Hebrews 3. We begin at 3 7. 3 7. We'll read 3 7 to 19. 3 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, 
If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As they swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Belief. When you hear the word, today, do not harden your hearts. Today, do not harden your hearts. Instead, encourage one another to maintain the faith, to be strong in the faith. And if we are skeptical that we would ever do so, he says here in 16 to 19, we have an example. We had all those people the multitude, the millions of people who saw all of the miracles, the devastating, ominous, frightening miracles that Moses performed in the land of Egypt and how God made a distinction between the Egyptians and the people of Israel. And they still, after all of the truth preached by Moses and all of the miracles performed by Moses, they still refused to believe. And God was angry with them. We shouldn't be that way. We should not reject the sayings of Christ. And when we do reject those sayings of Christ, it will, it will be brought to account on the day of judgment. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 and 13. 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Word of God has this penetrating power. It's alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is that way. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When will this happen finally? Lastly, on the Day of Judgment. It happens now, but it will also happen on the Day of Judgment. 13. No creature is hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We are accountable to him and everything is open and laid bare 
before his very eyes. He will judge us according to his word because he is the omniscient God who knows all things. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. 2 Chronicles 16.9 Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. So the word of God will test the words of our thoughts or the words of our mouth or the works of our hands. Everything will be judged by God on the day of judgment. John 12, 49, 49 and 50. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Christ is either telling the truth or he's lying here. Is he telling the truth that his commandment, the commandment from the Father to the Son delivered to us, is eternal life, consists of eternal life? If you want eternal life, you must know these commandments, you must know these words, you must know these truths. Is he telling the truth or not? We cannot have it both ways. He's either telling the truth or he's not telling the truth. If we want eternal life, it is found in Christ. Not found elsewhere, but found only in Christ. It's not found in other religions. It's not even found in a distorted view of Christ. It's found in the true Christ. The Spirit leads us to the truth. The Spirit of truth leads us to Christ who is the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. And Christ leads us to the God of truth. Let God be found true, though every man a liar. Romans 3, 4. So, he puts this dilemma before us. Is he the source of eternal life or not? If he is, where else shall we go? Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter said. John 6, 66-71. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. There's no other place to go. It's either Christ or nowhere. Or nowhere. Also, in 49 to 50, he has reiterated this point that whatever he says comes from the Father. Whatever he does comes from the Father. Whatever he has done and whatever he has said comes from the Father. From God the Father. He is not an inventor of religion. He is not a prolific a philosopher. A religious zealot. That's not who Christ is. He has been sent from the Father with the very words of the Father. There's no other way to look at it. Either we believe in Christ as sent from the Father or not. That's the dilemma. That's the choice he puts before us. There's either one, one is true or the other is true. That's the way it is. And if that's the way it is, Jesus has really heightened everything that's at stake here. 
People can't say whether they are in Christianity and have a false Jesus or outside of Christianity and certainly have a false Jesus or no Jesus. They, no one can say that these matters are trivial matters. No one can say that these matters don't matter. They, don't, they cannot say that you're talking about things in a wrong way or even exaggerating things. They can't say that these are light matters and they cannot say that we are misinterpreting Christ. We're not misinterpreting Christ. We could show to the skeptic himself. Read these words. What else are you going to make of these words? I'm not making it up. He said it right here. He said it right here. And he said it many times right here in the book of John and throughout the Bible. He has said it many times. So they are in a dilemma in that way. But not only are they in a dilemma that way, there's an added level of responsibility that they have to what we say. Keep your place here and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse 16. 10, 16. The one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Is there any way to break up this statement? Is there any way to have one part true and the other part not true? No. It's all bound up together. It's all tied up together. The one who listens to you listens to me. So when we go here and there and preach the gospel, if somebody listens to what we say in faith, if they listen to what we say in faith, then they listen to Christ. Because all we're doing is repeating the words of Christ. The one who rejects you rejects me. But what if the hearer, our hearer, rejects us and says, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. No, that's not true. That's false. What if somebody says that of us? If they say that of us and we have faithfully relayed the words of Christ to them, then they have not really just rejected us. They rejected Christ. And if they reject Christ, who do they reject? They reject God the Father, the one who sent me, he says. They reject God the Father. We are not only representatives of Christ, the Son of God, but we are representatives of God the Father through Christ, when we preach Christ. And this is where it all resides. This is the magnitude, this is the seriousness of the message that we have to preach to others, to convey to others. This is what we have. We have a message in our hands, in our heart first we believe, and then in our hands to preach to others, to tell them, this is about eternal life. Do do you care about eternal life or not? Where, Where is your own soul going when you die? Because this message, this Christ I preach to you, He said, if you listen to me, 
you listen to Christ. If you listen to Christ, you listen to the Father. But if you reject what I'm saying, you're not just rejecting me. I'm a messenger of Christ, and so you reject Christ, and then you reject the Father also. So don't take what I preach to you lightly. This is serious business. We have to take it that way. This is the way Jesus concluded his public discourse. He didn't leave the people with too many options. He, he left the people with the actual dilemma set before their very eyes and ears. That's what he left them. And we should do the same. If we believe in Christ, let's follow the example of Christ. Just tell people the truth. And when we tell the people the truth, we are loving them. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, 15. Speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 4, 15. And speaking the truth is love. Speaking the truth is love. That's a summary of James 5, 19 and 20. Speaking the truth is love. A way to summarize James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's be that way. Also, Proverbs 25 Proverbs 25, sorry, not 25, 27. Proverbs 27 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Chapter 27 and verse 5. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.